Welcome to the Resources for Integrated Care webinar, Organizational Buy-in, Making Member Engagement a Top Priority. This podcast is excerpted from a webinar presented live on September 7, 2017. In this podcast, Dr. Roger Master, founder of Commonwealth Care Alliance, discusses strategies for consumer engagement and empowerment. First of all, the background, uh, Commonwealth Care Alliance was founded uh, in early uh, in 2003 as a nonprofit prepaid care delivery system that was on the ground floor of the original dual demonstrations. Um, and uh, we went live in 2004, and, and I'm speaking essentially as the CEO of the organization from its inception until I retired uh, at the end of uh, 2015. And so we can talk about this issue through the, um, uh, the, the growth and development of an organization and the membership from a startup, uh, small uh, and impoverished, to one that uh, when I left was uh, fairly large with uh, 18,000 dual and Medicaid eligible beneficiaries of all ages, approximately $900 million of premium and about 800 employees and, and, and many primary care sites. Uh, and the challenges were different at all stages here. In 2004, as you see on the slide, we launched the first senior care options program um, and uh, with six primary care sites and at the beginning and all the way through approximately 70% of enrollees uh, uh, had long-term services support needs and met Medicaid's nursing home certifiable status. So these were uh, clearly uh, uh, requiring a very significant integration of both medical and long-term care services. And then in 2013, with One Care, the extraordinarily challenging under age 65 uh, a dual eligible population where there was high prevalence of people with significant mental illnesses, physical disabilities, developmental disabilities, um, uh, and uh, uh, again with very high long-term services and support needs in addition to medical needs. Um, and so what are some of the challenges when you think about this uh, going from a startup to uh, 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 a, an organization with considerable scale. Well, first of all, in the startup, um, this was a healthcare organization. Uh, we had extraordinary challenges, even at the beginning, where we had six primary care practices. We, our model was interdisciplinary care teams, particularly. Um, very uh, intense with nurse, nurse practitioner, social work, and non-professional support um, uh, uh, because of the percentage of the membership that had uh, uh, long-term services and support needs. Um, and using some of the PACE principles, uh, it was the interdisciplinary care teams that um, allocated services by interdisciplinary, uh, by individualized care plans. Um, and uh, so when you're small and you're relatively poor, um, the investments needed to be made um, in, uh, in promoting empowerment and education uh, were, were a challenge. Uh, uh, the other uh, challenges are that uh, the membership that came was as diverse as the United Nations, uh, multiple languages, multiple cultures, um, uh, and as we expanded from three regions in Massachusetts over the years to the entire state um, with 45 
over 45 uh, uh, primary care sites, many in the safety net community health center um, uh, sphere, in addition to the interdisciplinary teams, um, uh, how do you affect uh, member engagement and empowerment across all of these cultures and languages and, and, and geographical dispersions? So I, I wanted to just list those challenges right at the very beginning. Um, if we go to the next slide, 12, uh, Commonwealth Care Alliance was, was actually had uh, uh, consumer organizations in our DNA previous work. Uh, we, uh, we, we had worked with, uh, very closely with Boston Center for Independent Living in developing Medicaid uh, prepaid care programs for people with involved disabilities uh, that were clients of Boston Center for Independent Living as a pilot that informed so much of the work here. Uh, our board of directors had very significant advocacy in consumer organizations, Healthcare for All and Boston Center for Independent Living. Um, were uh, uh, responsible for nominating our board of directors. They were the, the members of our corporation. Um, and one-third of our board uh, had uh, really roots in the consumer and advocacy uh, uh, community. Um, and, and, and that's very important because there was a culture very, at the beginning and, and certainly I, I had internalized that as a clinician over many years prior to this, this work uh, in, in, in uh, collaboration with uh, BCIL and its clients and particularly developing the self-directed personal care assistant model as the predominant approach for uh, uh, long-term services and supports. Uh, if we go to the next slide, 13, uh, when we had the SCO sites, both early on and later, uh, really we wanted to move our, our staff uh, into engagement with these sites. Uh, and we had, we started uh, very humbly with one um, very remarkable uh, worker in this space uh, who subsequently grew to uh, uh, lead that. And I'll explain that development and where it went to. Uh, and it was really to work with and train the primary care teams and the affiliated health centers uh, that grew um, uh, exponentially over the years uh, to really encourage them about uh, uh, the value of member involvement in their care. And I'm going to talk about that near the end because uh, I'll talk a little bit about the uh, ROI. You can't run an organization if you are not achieving an ROI for the investment in this. And, and uh, I'll give you a heads up that there, there is a significant ROI. Um, and, uh, and so that was built in early on with this vision and working with our expanding network. Uh, if we go to the next slide, number 14, um, one of the strategies that was developed, uh, given the diversity of geographic locations, uh, languages, and cultures uh, around the state, was to develop uh, 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 member meetings, local member meetings, and they were always situated out in the communities that uh, uh, where our members lived. And so as we got to several thousand members with a number of primary care sites, uh, it really was uh, uh, trying to get that connection uh, on these meetings uh, on the, where, where essentially they were the home team and we were the visiting team. Um, 
and we provided and paid for all transportation to the meetings. Uh, they were meetings that were uh, uh, where the food was uh, culturally appropriate. And uh, over the years, the meetings were held in multiple languages, as you can see there. Um, and the key was, how do you lower all the barriers to get feedback? And we heard a great deal of feedback over the years, uh, what was working, and, and actually, far more importantly, what wasn't. And we very quickly learned, for example, in many, many places, the transportation systems, the non-emergent transportation systems were always a challenge and a problem. And that's just one example of others. And that, really, I think, gave us uh, incredible feedback from what, what was working and what wasn't. And then there was, a, as, you, as you see in the slide, a debriefing of executive leadership. Um, uh, I, I, I personally felt I had a really close uh, uh, relationship with the growing infrastructure that we had uh, and, uh, and, uh, it, for, for this program as it expanded. And, it really was probably the best single way we could understand the processes that needed to be improved um, uh, uh, through these meetings. And so the question was, when we put all this planning and effort into it, how many people would show up? And what if we planned this all out and few showed up? And we were seeing, uh, it was really remarkable. On average, it was 45 or 50 members per meeting with family members, with their personal care assistants. Um, so it would be not it was not unusual to have 75 80 people in a in a two-hour facilitated meeting that uh, uh, was open and rich and I attended many of these uh, or some of these myself and but the vast majority did not have uh, planned leadership because they didn't uh, you didn't want to chill conversation and discussion that way and we thought that might have so that was that history and at the beginning, if we go to slide 15, um, uh, we did have that dedicated budget uh, uh, it was to, to fund a position, um, uh, and that position, as I mentioned, was situated in an organic way where we could have literally uh, uh, corridor conversations or at the at the uh, uh, refrigerator. Uh, or the, where we got the coffee on the floor as, as well. Um, and uh, that, that seemed very, very humble. Where it moved to was uh, uh, a whole uh, health education uh, uh, department uh, and caregiver training department. And, uh, and, if, and that was created in 2009. And then when we moved uh, into One Care, that, that department had uh, somewhere in the range of 10 full-time equivalent uh, uh, employees that were outreaching, that were uh, uh, engaged in the multiple languages and cultures, uh, in addition to the administrative and leadership infrastructure and staff support. It was a budget that was uh, well over a million dollars for this, this, this effort. Um, and I, I, I do want to go back a little bit to slide 15, if I can, uh, uh, 16, the, the Stanford Chronic Disease Self-Management Programs. Um, th this, this is a program that was developed at Stanford to, to, to promote self-care around chronic illness management. It really was started for a middle-class Anglo population. It really hadn't been developed for low-income 
uh, uh, populations with diverse cultures and languages. We, we felt that we were one of the, the first entities to try that. Uh, if, just to give you a sense of some of the issues with our membership, over 50% had a diabetes diagnosis. Uh, in pe frail elders and younger people with disabilities uh, with very low thresholds to complications. And so diabetes clearly cried out for the self-management empowerment approaches uh, and, and, and teaching that was integral to the CDSMP program. And, uh, and so with our first uh, uh, trainer that was certified, uh, uh, first of many, uh, that program began uh, in 2009 and grew to many chronic illnesses. One of the things that I absolutely witnessed, and, and we all were, is that we were dealing with other issues uh, uh, in, in, in the economically challenged communities in which we worked. And, and there was a great deal of uh, dependency, despondency, uh, disempowerment, the, I guess the three Ds. And, uh, to be able to move p and and iso and social isolation, so the idea of these classes, um, uh, six week classes that were intensive with the people training, turned out to be uh, a, a, an absolutely amazing um, uh, strategy to improve the self care and management. Um, and 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 the question was, would that have a health effect and a cost reduction effect? Uh, that would justify the increasing uh, and, and actually pretty incredible investment in this, and, and I'll get to that at the at the end. Um, and so, that, adding the chronic disease self-management program, transportation, food, and these six-week modules uh, over the last few years, uh, really um, uh, in in a full department, uh, uh, really I guess was the culmination of this commitment um, and in addition to the local mem member meetings uh, as well um, and 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 I guess uh, there's more to say but maybe what I just will go do is turn to the last page 19 um, which are uh, uh, the organization and then I'll go back to 18 and I wanted to just show you some of the pictures, you will see actually uh, I, I had the honor of being involved in the uh, graduations uh, of these varying classes and uh, I'm, there, there I am in the back of some of these pictures and uh, this really was uh, an amazingly meaningful uh, and effective um, uh, aspect. Uh, Commonwealth Care Alliance ended up, uh, if you think about the population with low thresholds uh, uh, to hospitalizations because of the array, the fragility and, and the array of chronic illnesses, um, uh, uh, we, we achieved uh, hospitalization rates and where 95% of the hospitalizations were for complications of the underlying chronic illnesses through the emergency room. Um, we achieved hospitalization rate reductions of 45 to 50 percent consistently over the years, um, and uh, and over what was expected by uh, the risk-adjusted uh, uh, dual eligible uh, experience in the fee-for-service system, and that was the ROI. That was an extraordinary ROI because the average cost per hospitalization to us was in the range of 10 to 12 thousand dollars. 
And I guess if we just go back one slide, uh, and then I'll be I'll, I'll conclude. The um, the uh, obtaining the buy-in through the organization. Um, you can see some of the points on that slide. Uh, clearly, I, I think uh, you, you ha it has to come from the top. And, and uh, I, I became an evangelist for this. It was hard not to on all grounds. And actually, our CFO, which you would think would have problems, at the end became uh, an evangelist for this, this program as well. Um, and so I will stop there. Thank you for listening. This podcast is presented by the Lewin Group and is supported through the Medicare Medicaid Coordination Office at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. MMCO is dedicated to ensuring beneficiaries enrolled in Medicare and Medicaid have access to seamless, high-quality health care that includes the full range of covered services in both programs. To support providers in their efforts to deliver more integrated, coordinated care, MMCO is developing technical assistance and actionable tools based on successful innovation and care models. To learn more about the current efforts and resources, please visit our website or follow us on Twitter for more details. Our Twitter handle is at integrate underscore care.